Today we are in part three of a series that we began. It's our New Year's series called Between the Waters. And we have been diving deeper uh, into the story of the Israelites. It's the story of the Israelites after the Red Sea. It's now behind them. They've escaped from Egypt. But the shores of the River Jordan are still in front of them, the promised land. And the journey in between these two bodies of water are kind of the, it's a season of growing. It's learning to trust in God so you're growing in your faith, learning to watch for Him to supply your needs. Sounds pretty familiar, right? And in this story in the Exodus, we get some of the just the most beautiful, impressive miracles of the Bible taking place. And so we're just walking along with the Israelites, uh, just kind of chapter by chapter here. And today we come to an event that takes place immediately after the miracle we looked at last week was the, the miracle of the water that came from the rock. This takes place literally the next verse. So the Israelites have been hungry. They've been thirsty. God provided both of these needs uh, in supernatural ways. And then without warning, the people get attacked by a new enemy. And today we're going to witness Israel's, it's actually Israel's first ever battle. Let's see. Oh, there it is. It was hiding. And we're going to see an old friend make another appearance today, the staff of Moses. Okay? The staff of Moses. This uh, I got off on loan from the uh, University of Jerusalem, the actual staff of Moses. No. Is this from Walmart? Where is this from, Dan? Yep, okay. Because they have everything. They have the staff of Moses at Walmart. It's crazy. Um, But we're going to see today lived out another demonstration of, of God, of how he works. Today's going to be a really great example of, of one of the ways that God provides miracles and the way He enjoys providing miracles in our life. And when we need Him, when we need His power to show up, we call on Him. He wants us to come to Him. That prayer is at the heart of everything, intercession. But having said that, uh, He still chooses to help us win the battles through our own strength that's partnered with Him. God is a, he's a partnering kind of God. And so we're going to see that it's not just one or the other. Well, is it prayer or is it partnering? Is it our strength or is it God's strength? And God says, yes. It's not just pray and then do nothing and watch God do it. And it's not just do it all on our strength like we talked about during the offering that, you know, David recognizes. It's not my sword that's bringing the victory. In this story, for instance, we, we see two things at work here, and it's the staff and the sword. I don't have a sword on me, but... It's the staff and the sword that work together. And then not only that, but you see a little bit of human ingenuity. They've got some problem solving to do here. And so it's not wrong, we're going to find out, to bring your own ingenuity, your own creativity, your own inner energy to the table uh, and be submitted to and, and partner with God in the things that he wants to do for us. God wants to use you just to give away a spoiler, he wants to use you right as you are right now. He wants to use you just as you are and, and how you have been created, the, the things that he's given you, the gifts, the talents, and even the weaknesses that you have. He wants to use you, use those things to accomplish things in your life. But what he doesn't want us to do is run ahead of him, get out of, you know, get out ahead of God. And so God really kind of bakes into this historic event that we're going to look at, this amazing living lesson for how to live our lives. 
Um, now, in this story, if uh, some of you who you know might may know it, some of you may not. But there's a really weird thing that happens. Uh, Moses holds up his staff that battle that takes place. And Moses holds up the staff. It says that he holds it up over his head. And as long as he's holding it up, the Israelites are winning. They're beating the other army. But they're only winning as long as Moses has the strength to hold it up. Keep in mind, in this story, uh, Moses is probably about 85 or so, 80 or 85 years old. So he's holding this up during the battle. And it says that if he, if he gets tired and starts to lower it, that the good guys start to lose. That's kind of weird. And it makes me wonder, how long can a guy hold it up over their head, right? How long could a person hold a staff up over their head? I don't really know, especially, you know, uh, an, an older man like that. And Moses is even older than me, guys. I mean, that's, that's saying something. And he's got to hold this thing over his head for how long? You know, an hour, three hours? It says all afternoon till the evening. He's got to hold it up there. How long could we hold it? Maybe an hour. It's not that heavy, but, you know, just standing here, I can tell. This, this would be interesting. 15 minutes, 10 minutes. I would like to find out, actually. So I'm, I'm going to ask for a volunteer this morning. <laughs> Seriously. I, don't, I want to volunteer this morning. Who, who, who wants to hold this for a, f a few minutes for me this morning? I need, I need a strapping volunteer who's ready to hold this over their heads. Oh, who, who, wants, to, who wants to help me? Who wants to help me here? Oh. You're going to do this for me, sir? Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Moses. Thank you, sir. Okay. I want you to just stand right here. You just hold this over your head, okay? And don't let it lower because we'll lose the battle. Okay. All right. All right. It'll just be for a little bit. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. Now, one other thing. Uh, I want to I want to talk about before we dive into this story. As I said, we're not only talking about the staff Moses, we're talking about the sword of Joshua is going to come into play here. And I always like to caution us when we read Old Testament stories. Uh, I, I came up with a little object lesson to to kind of help me understand when we read the Old Testament scriptures. I call it reading these stories and looking for windows and mirrors. We're looking for windows and mirrors. This is a good way to think about it. We read these Old Testament stories, number one, looking for the windows that allow us to see through the narrative and to find Jesus. And that's what Jesus told us to do. He said, those scriptures you're reading about in the Old Testament, guys, they're actually all pointing to me. So we can read the story, and that's great. You know, the story's exciting. It's got, you know, battles and winners and losers and all that kind of stuff. But we're actually looking right through it and seeing Jesus beyond the text, who the story is really pointing to. Number two, some elements of stories that we read, well, they don't look like Jesus very much, right? And so we read these stories, and we looking, we're looking at the mirrors, and these reveal the difference that Jesus makes. It's kind of like a reverse image sometimes of how the kingdom operates. So sometimes there's a stark difference between religion B.C., before Christ, and religion after Christ, after the kingdom comes. And so we, we, we go with our eyes wide open and we look for Jesus. We look for the windows that reveal Jesus. We look for the mirrors that reveal the difference Jesus makes. So when we read, sometimes we'll read some battles here, battle, uh, or stories of battles and violence and the Israelites defeating their enemies. This isn't so much all the time a window, 
revealing how we should behave today toward our enemies, but it's a mirror revealing humanity's need for Jesus. We are need for Jesus because Jesus changes everything. Amen? Jesus changes everything. The kingdom of God, which you and I are citizens of here, it means we live differently. We just live differently. So we have these New Testament words, such as the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so when you and I as a church, when we face opposition to the mission of the church, or the, you know, we face opposition in our culture, we don't defend the church with swords and spears and guns or anything like that. That's for killing people. Our weapons are for demolishing strongholds. Which kind of strongholds? We demolish arguments. So that is, uh, we've talked about this before, arguments. These are just bad ideas. There are bad ideas out there. We take them on with truth. We demolish arguments in every pretension. That's just high and lofty thoughts, right? That sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We know that there is no better way to see God than through the person of Jesus. He told us so, right? He is, he is God in the flesh. We see who God is. We see God's heart most clearly through Christ. Even John 1.18 tells us that um, until Jesus, nobody actually saw what God was like. John said, Jesus, because uh, no one has ever seen God. He said, until you really see Jesus, that explains who the Father is. And it says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So all those thoughts that are out there that come against the knowledge of, of God, we take them captive. We make Christ uh, the ultimate ruler of our thoughts and our assumptions and our ideas. So we have this war of ideas. We go to war against bad ideas. Secondly, Apostle Paul also tells us in Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So human beings aren't really exactly our enemy, right? If you read just the first three quarters of the Bible, the Old Testament, you would say, well, it could have fooled me. It looks like, you know, the humans are our enemy, uh, but Jesus changes everything. He says, but our, our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Right? So make no mistake, guys, as kingdom people, we're not spiritual pacifists at all. We are living in a war zone. We, we've said it before, we're born for the battle. We live in a world at war. We're not born in spiritual peacetime. But while the earth is occupied territory, we know our true foe is a spiritual enemy, right? The devil. Right, that's our spiritual darkness that's at the, the heart of the pain and the suffering in this world. All right, how are we doing, Moses? You okay? All right, all right, you're doing great. Uh, so Exodus 17, let's dive into our story here. We're going to start in verse 8, and uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there too. We'll have it on the screen here. Let me dive in. We'll draw some lessons out of it. In, in verse 8, so literally this is the next verse after the miracle of the rock and the water. It says, then the Amalekites, the Amalekites are descendants of Esau. So this is kind of an old sibling rivalry actually happening here with the Israelites. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, by the way, the first mention of Joshua in the Bible right here. He's right here. He's just kind of like a little junior commander, but he's, he's going to be a great man someday. Moses says, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Amalekites, yeah. Uh, tomorrow, I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses has ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. 
Now, what we learn is that the Amalekites, they, they attacked first, and, and we learn more from the, an account in Deuteronomy. Uh, they, we learned that they, they actually attacked from behind. I mean, it was a really terrible sneak attack. It says in Deuteronomy, you know, years later, they say, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out, and they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So this is a this is an attack on the infirmed. This is an attack on the elderly, women and children, on the sick, who for whatever reason, you know, uh, just they, they had a hard time keeping up. So you've you got to remember the Israelites at this point had just left Egypt. I mean, in their mind, they're just slaves that have been rescued. They've just left Egypt. Um, they're not threatening anybody. They just entered the desert. They're not an army. They're not even a real nation or anything. And so this is an unprovoked attack. And uh, the Amalekites basically just attacked because they can, they can. And so um, after this, the Israelites have to enter battle for the first time as their first type. They, they don't know what they're doing. And so they have to band together and say, we need to fight, but we know we need God's help. And Moses knows this. And so Moses says, all right, I'll go up and hold my staff aloft and to give you courage. And there's no direct mention of even prayer here, but it's definitely implied within the text. The, the, the symbolism here is, is pretty clear that they're relying on God's strength and that there's this reliance also on the partnering with human strength and ingenuity of Joshua. So what we also see is Moses, Aaron, and Hur. Now, Aaron, we've heard of. Aaron was a brother of Moses. He was the, uh, the priest. Hur, uh, most of us have not heard of. We haven't seen him in the story so far. He's probably, historians tell us, uh, a, um, either a relative or a friend. He's a relative or a friend. They go up with, so they go up with Moses. And in verse 11, it gets into the weird part. We lost our, we lost our Moses. Zach, you're Moses. Uh, huh? All right. Let's get it up for Zach. See, this is teamwork. Makes the dream work. All right. Here we go. Now, as long as Moses holds up his hands, the Israelites are winning. But it says, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. We don't want to lose. Keep it up. And so Moses gets tired out after a while, right? Like I said, he's, he's, he's an older man. And so Chris, the question is, you know, I read this and I think, well, how did God expect Israel to win the battle? Did he just think like they were going to win in five minutes or half an hour or an hour? I mean, you know, a guy's got to bring his hands down to rest. And so what is God's thinking here? And, and Israel starts to get overwhelmed. And it's as though, if you're catching this, God has baked into the miracle itself. He doesn't tell them, but he's baked into the miracle an inherent weakness, right? There's, an, there, there's, a, there's a flaw in this plan. It turns out to be intentional. Moses' own human frailty they're going to have to put their minds together to answer this question. Okay, so we see how the miracle works. The miracle works like that, but he's not going to be able to last long, right? So how do we overcome Moses' weakness? How do you overcome it? Through community. You overcome through community so that we can experience the fullness of what God wants to do. And God says, I'll do it, but I'm only going to do it when you come together, all right? Because he can't keep his arms up all the time. It says in verse 12 that 
Uh, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. Okay, so Zach has already kind of put this into, uh, into action a little bit here. He's come to the aid, uh, but I need two more volunteers. I need two volunteers now to be my Aaron and Hur, just for, for a few more minutes. He wants to be, all right, we got Byron over here. We got Daniel, okay, let's give him a hand. Aaron and Hur, y'all can talk amongst yourself and decide who is Aaron and who's her. Okay. All right. Now, whenever he needs, you guys, y'all just go on up in there. You know, I don't know. You can figure it out whether you want to do it with one hand or two hands, just however you need. And so after a while, you know, Zach, he's, he's going to probably be like, okay, guys, I got my strength back. Y'all can give me, y'all can let me have it again. And then he'll be like, I'm tired again. And they would be holding him up again. And so now here's what's fascinating about this miracle. When you think about this miracle, taking place, that this is happening right now. God is actually, through this action, he's affecting what's happening on the battlefield. And these are like people doing things. This, this is different than making water come out of a rock, right? It's different than manna falling from heaven. These are now flesh and blood human beings. He's affecting a miracle on, based on what's happening through this, really, it's intercession. It's a living prayer that Moses is doing. See? Now, for this to happen, God's going to be working several things into effect. Think about it. What he's doing, he's going to be encouraging the hearts of the soldiers. He's, so that they, they encourage their hearts so they don't give up. He's going to be strengthening their bodies so they have stamina and endurance to continue the fight, to continue on. And he's focusing their thinking, right? So they make good choices, not get distracted. You know, like Jason Bourne, he's like, pew, pew, he's, he can duck out of the way, you know, before the, the blow comes. And I think these are, this is amazing that what God is doing to these people, and when you think it through, these are the kind of things that God has to do not only to these soldiers, but it occurs to me that these are the very same things, the kind of things that we can pray for God to do in our lives today. This is what we can pray for today. There's nothing here that we can't pray for God to do in us that he did for them. And we may need some friends to help us sustain it, right? But this is the kind of stuff that we pray for. And I have to tell you, this week, I have prayed for this. I've been praying this as I work through this. I've just said, God, I need you. I need to pray that you encourage my heart, right? I prayed for myself. Uh, I've prayed for, for you guys. I've prayed for all of you at Generations Church this week because it's been a tough week for some of us. It has. Encourage our hearts. I know I've needed that. And so I'm praying to God, encourage my heart. Give me strength and stamina in my body, right? Because the stresses and things we go through, they affect us bodily. And, and focus my thinking, Lord, because I need all the help in the intellect department I can get, right? I know that. So focus my thinking. And I've been praying this for myself. I've been praying this for you. Lord, this is what we need together. And this continues to be my prayer um, for us, for this miracle. But then, as I mentioned, what we see here is that God has baked into this miracle that, that it can only last so long until they figure out what community looks like, uh, what help looks like, what an Aaron and her look like. So they come on either side of him. And they, and they take the weight of his arms. It's happening right there. They take the weight of his arms. And notice, like, God didn't tell them this. He didn't, he didn't spell it all out for them. Now, here's what you shall do, right? In the moment when Moses shall be fatigued, you shall have to go up and hold his arms. He didn't tell them that. They had to, like, go, how are we going to keep his arms up? Well, we should go hold his arms up, right? 
It's a, it's a beautiful bit of ingenuity here. And they're just continually, like I said, probably working between them. Like, I need you now. Okay, I'm okay now. You take a rest, okay? And it's such genius that they're partnering with God while partnering together in each other's weakness. God knows what he's doing. They're teaching us that we need God and we need each other. And, and listen, like we said earlier with, in, during the offering message, God does, never wants us to get to the place where we don't need God in our life. But I'll tell you something else. God will not allow us to become so reliant on his power that we feel like we can push everyone else away. And for some folks, this is the temptation. It's just me and God. We got this. I don't need y'all. I don't need, I don't need the community. I don't need the church. God, it's me and God, right? And God's like, uh-uh. <laughs> This is about pulling people close. God's always pulling us close. And that's when we experience the fullness of what God has for us. And, and this today, this miracle that we see becomes this living picture of what is written for us into history. And hopefully this image will help solidify that in your brain. Give these guys a big hand. They can go sit down. We thank you guys so much. Very good. Y'all can sit down. Amen. If you see Zach, just hit him really hard on the shoulder and say, you did so good. Way to go. Um, all right, so we read on, they, they win the battle. They win the battle. You, you probably saw that coming. And in verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. This is the first mention in Scripture of something. Uh, they write something down. This is the first time we write something down. They preserve their own record. They're realizing, hey, this is an important lesson. This is something to write down. It's the first time God said this is something that's worth writing down. It's a beautiful thing how God works in history. It gets written down so that the lesson can be passed on from generation to generation. And we get to read this today because of this. And that's the value of the scriptures for us. We can read these testimonies. Now, it's not necessarily written down so that we can get God to repeat himself in the exact same way. Remember, this never happens again in any other battle that we read in Scripture. Uh, it's kind of like what we, we talked about last week. This is a one-hit wonder, right? The, the whole thing with the holding up the staff and the people holding up his arms to make it happen. When they get into future battles, they never say, Moses, go to the hill and hold up, the, do the thing with the staff, and, and Aaron and her, get up there. They never do that again. Uh, this only happens once. And, and as we said last week, there's a difference in understanding the, the principle at play here. There's a difference between that and trying to come up with a prescription for us to, to duplicate. We talked last week about miracles versus magic. Magic is based on having the right formula. You got the right formula, the proper ingredients. You can tap into the power. You manipulate it. And you're the one, right? You're the one in charge. It's all, about, it's all about you. And miracles are the result of God's grace for a specific situation. And, you know, when we pray, some, when we pray for something, uh, whatever's going on in your life right now, you're praying for something. I'm praying for things. But think about it. God, in his infinite wisdom, takes a near infinite amount of relational data. I mean, there are like hundreds of thousands of millions, if not billions of little in data points of this universe that he has taken into account for the, every decision he makes. And our prayers and our faith, we're told, is a big part of that decision. It does affect things. But there's always going to be factors 
behind God's decisions and his responses that are unknown to us. So this is different than magic, right? It's not magic. It's trying to invoke like spiritual laws uh, that boil all of faith down to a formula rather than a relationship. We can't try to force God into performing for us because we said things the right way, we did things the right way in a certain way, in a certain order. If we did that, think about, think about this. Those of you who are married, if you tried to do that to your spouse, you tried to force them to do things a certain way in a certain order and just like that because you said it right, you did, it, you did all the things and it was supposed to force them to do the thing. What is that called? Manipulation, yes. Manipulation, and whether it's emotional or physical manipulation, that's evil. We don't do that to our spouse, right? It's relational. So imagine how even more outrageous and idolatrous is it to think that we can wield the omnipotent God like a tool in our belt, right? God wants a relationship with us, and he will come through. He's a good God, but he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to pray to him, and he wants us to trust him with the outcome. That's the hardest part, isn't it? Trusting him with the outcome. Well, the story, it ends like this in verse 15. Moses, he then built an altar, and he called it, The Lord is my banner. Literally in Hebrew, it's Yahweh Nisi. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is our banner or our standard. Um, Back then when an army would go into battle, they would have usually high up, they would hold up a standard or a banner up high in the, in the, near the front of the battle. The Romans were famous for, you know, they would have this 12, 15, 20 foot pole and on the top would be this iron or brass eagle, right? The bird of prey. They'd have to hold an eagle up and it would strike terror in the hearts of the opposing armies. As Christians, our standard, our, our banner, isn't a symbol of war or might, it's, it's a cross, right? Symbol of execution, of self-sacrificial love. So we think about that, marching into the battles that we face with that as our symbol, because Jesus brings a new kingdom. He brings a new way of living. The cross is our banner that we rally around, that we engage in da- daily spiritual warfare, Daily spiritual warfare, because we're, we're born for the battle, and the cross is our symbol of hope. By the way, if you're, if you're reading this story and you're like, okay, well, what are those, what is that window? You know, we talk about windows and mirrors. What, what is the window? Where's Jesus in that story that we can find? Consider this. I thought this was pretty cool when you start thinking about it. Moses, Moses is known in the Torah as the greatest prophet. He was the greatest prophet. Aaron is his brother who's the high priest, and her. What about her, H-U-R? Well, I did a little digging, and it says that her happens to be from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. So all of the kings of Israel, like David, and eventually Jesus himself, come from this tribe. And so in one striking moment, we have represented on this hill a king, a high priest, a great prophet, with his arms stretched out wide for the salvation of his people. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. What a beautiful window of Jesus. So I want to challenge us today. I want to challenge you. Uh, we've been trying this to do this every week. 
because we don't want to just hear things. We want to go and do things. We want to be different. We want to try things differently. Um, I want to start by reminding us of a, of a universal truth, and that universal truth is that you are made in the image of God. You're made in His image, and that means that the God who is love, who is relationship, He has made us to be like Him, living and being and doing all things in relationship. God is three in one. He, he is in himself relationship, and then he has a relationship with us. And, and this story reminds me of this monumental truth that, that God is infinitely more concerned with the person that you're growing into, the person that he is growing you to be. He's much more concerned with that than the circumstances that we'd rather avoid. He is more concerned with the battle inside the growth that is happening in you. Now, will God answer our prayer? Absolutely. When we, when we are in trouble, he comes to our rescue. He is absolutely faithful. But even like those Israelites who were having to fight a physical battle down there against the Amalekites, when we're looking for a miracle, God is always looking at a bigger picture. He's always looking at something even more important. And God is always, his, his primary concern, I, I firmly believe, just looking at the way he works in Scripture, that his primary concern is that we learn to live our lives connected to him and connected to the body of Christ. Anything that's going to take us away from either of those things, we're going to get a different answer to our, our miracle than we're hoping for. He always wants to bring us more connected to him, more connected to the body of Christ, because it is in partnership that he loves to move in our lives. So my question for us today, my challenge who are your Aaron and hers? Who are the Aaron and hers in your life? We could also ask it the second way. Who can be, who can you be Aaron and her to this week? Who in your life do you have that you can pull close and say, I need you because of my weakness? Because that's, that's the role that Aaron and her play in this story. You notice Aaron and her, they're not down fighting with swords. The whole Aaron and her thing is because, not just because God wants to use his strength, he's also using the fact that that strength has a limit. He is taking advantage of the fact that Moses is not impotent, uh, omnipotent. He isn't. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all the power, right? He's using that fact. It has a limit. He knows his weakness is going to kick in. And in fact, it is in the moment when Moses has to give up in his greatest weakness, that is the moment that God's true purpose of what he's up to becomes apparent. That's the moment. You go, oh, this is what's happening here. At that point, Moses needs support. He needs his bros. He needs community, right? And meanwhile, by the way, Joshua and the rest of the nation is out, out there doing hand-to-hand -hand combat. So this is truly a team effort. Everybody is at work. So that's the story of us. It's the story of us. Who is your Aaron and your her? And we need to admit that you need them. And you need to be able to share with them your weakness. I know that's hard for some folks. It doesn't come easy for some folks to admit that we need Aaron and her. And whatever load it is you're carrying, know that you were not designed to bear that on your own. You're just not created that way. 
It's not in your DNA. It's not how you're built. And so it, if you're here today and, you, and you're, you're frazzled and you're frustrated and you know, you're at the end of your rope, I encourage you, look around, have your spiritual antennas up and lean into life asking other people, how can I help and, and how can you help me? And I'm praying that we as a community, this just becomes second nature to us, right? We, we've kind of baked it into our little vision line. No one walks alone because I, I want this. God wants this to, to be who we are, the place where no one walks alone. That is the place that we need to be. And I'm praying that as a community, we are, we are a people that rushes toward the weak, the tired, the weary, that lifts each other up. And that means that we are courageous enough to share our weaknesses with others without fear and without condemnation or, or, or a fear that we're going to be told that it's a lack of faith or some kind of garbage like that, right? In fact, here, here's one more fact about this story that's fascinating to me I love. So God works with Moses. He's using Moses. Moses apparently has some leadership skills. He has to train him along the way. He's, he's teaching him along the way. He's, but he's got some leadership skills, but he's not perfect. Aaron and her, uh, they have the strength to help Moses, but not the calling to wield the staff itself. That's interesting. It's like when Samwise says to Frodo, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. Come on. Right. So they're there. They're there to bear up Moses. At the same time, down on the battlefield, what's happening? There's the strength of the soldiers. That has its limitations as well, as we see, right? They get tired. They start to lose every once in a while. God uses, though, their weaknesses, everybody's weaknesses, everybody's strengths, their giftings, their talents, into it forces a kind of interdependence on each other. It forces it. And the thing is that brokenness and that weakness, it's not a liability to God. It's part of the story. Are you getting that? So guys, if you're here today and you're like, oh, I just gotta, I, I'm waiting for God to heal my weakness before he can use me, before I can get my act together, stop waiting. That's part of the story. It's part of the story. The things that you have inside you to bring to the table, to bring into community. We all need that. We need you right now, just as you are. Are you going to grow in areas? Absolutely. I hope so. I hope I keep growing in areas. We want to, we want to get stronger in areas, but there's going to be weaknesses that we're never going to grow out of, right? Because we are not omnipotent. I got to remember that word. <laughs> we're not omnipotent. And God says that's part of the story. It's part of the point. Look at this. That's the story of the church. That's the story. The church is evidence that of God's ability and his desire to use imperfect people to do amazing things. That is what we are. God uses people who can be honest about their strength and their weakness and, and work through that to, to make a difference in the world. There's a verse that's been on my heart this week so powerfully. It's when Paul says this, maybe this will be a, a, a good vision verse for you this week. I don't know, but he says this in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure. Uh, and by the way, the treasure he's talking about is the, the knowledge of the God's glory. He's, he mentions it in the verse right before this. It's, he's talking about, we've talked about this verse before. 
But instead of God's glory, his spirit, this beautiful thing being contained as we would expect in some ornate, beautiful treasure chest, you know, with carvings all over it, and some impenetrable lock on the front, you know, or, you know, you picture like a beautiful painting should have like a beautiful frame. Instead of his glory being in this beautiful frame, in this beautiful treasure chest, this priceless treasure resides in jars of clay. That's our mortal flesh and blood bodies. That's not a liability. It's not an accident. It's not like something God goes, well, I don't know what to do about that. No. The purpose of it is to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's from God. Your weakness, your brokenness, your inabilities, they're part of the story. They're part of the point. And God wants to use you. He wants to use us all. We get to house his glory. We, man, we get to embody it. We get to wield it. It's so beautiful. We have a part to play. But it is our, our basicness, our unimpressiveness, uh, our simplicity, our frailty, our weakness, as simple jars of clay. God gets to use that for his glory. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me as I pray for us? Hallelujah. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing to use us, Lord. You choose to love us. You fill us up with your glory, Lord, and your power and your grace. And then you partner with us to share that with other people. Thank you for giving us a part to play in this, for giving us such purpose. What an honor, Lord God, to serve arm in arm together, Lord God with you at our, as our front, as our standard, Lord God. Thank you that, Lord, we, we become at this church a, a community of Aaron's and hers who will lift each other up, who will lift each other's hands. And I pray for this, this whole generation's church community, Lord, that we would be a tribe that holds each other up in prayer, that we would be a community that comes alongside one another in our weakness, that we would be unafraid to ask for help and uncondemning when asked for that help, that we would be a community of grace and peace. And I pray as we do this, Lord, as we discover this more and more richly, Lord God, that the gospel would just be proclaimed through our words, but also in how we live and in how we love, and that you would receive the glory, that they, the community around us would look at this and say, look at, look at what God does. Look at what he is able to do. Thank you, Father. In the strong healing name of Jesus Christ, everybody said, amen, amen. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? Our prayer partners are coming forward. If there's anything you need prayer about, I encourage you to come forward. Let them pray with you. Let them stand with you. Nobody walks alone. We stand together. We go forward together. We grow together. We're going to make mistakes mistakes and and we're going to love each other have tons and tons of grace tons of mercy because god believes in you and we believe in you and we know that god is our source for everything he's our source we just have to trust him we pray to him and we trust him with the outcomes amen so friends may the lord bless you and keep you may he make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you may he lift his countenance today and grant you his grace and his peace. Amen.
Have a great week. Let's be kingdom people out there. Bye-bye.